Welcome to Crystal Kyle and Friends, everybody. Or should I say, welcome to Kyle and Friends? Kyle and Friend? Welcome to Kyle's podcast? I don't know. Uh, so Crystal is taking care of some family stuff today, so it's just me you're stuck with for the next however long. Um, pretty excited, though, for uh, today's conversation. I'm talking to somebody who I've known for quite a while. He's a very talented content creator, in my opinion, really smart person, very philosophical mind, very analytical mind. Um, it's TJ Kirk. TJ Kirk, also known as the Amazing Atheist. Uh, he's had quite uh, a roller coaster ride on YouTube. I mean, he was one of the very, very early on YouTubers from when the platform uh, first came out. And he kind of skyrocketed to fame in the sense that he was one of the only, if not the only, really like loud uh, atheist voices and aggressive atheist voices on YouTube. He also does social commentary, political commentary. He uh, helped start the wave of like the whole like anti-social justice warrior politics where there were people on the left who were acting in kind of an authoritarian way and they wanted to deplatform speakers and they, you know, they would go after video games for having characters that have big boobs or whatever. He kind of started the, the whole genre of like responding to that and pushing back against it. However, a very interesting thing happened. He, um, when that genre, in his opinion, went out of control and they started getting too preachy and they started getting too authoritarian and they started going too far right wing, TJ kept his principles and uh, sort of stopped going down that path. And you know what? It probably affected him uh, views-wise and subscribers-wise. And um, so he deserves a lot of credit for maintaining his principles and calling out bullshit wherever he sees it and not just sort of hopping on a, a popular bandwagon for the sake of hopping on it. And um, so that's why I find him a very interesting person. His career arc um, has had many ups and downs, but I think at the end of the day, since he's been telling everybody exactly what he thinks every step of the way, um, he's a voice worth hearing. And uh, I want to talk to him about a variety of different things, might get into some politics, talk about his his career, his come up, and all that fun stuff. So uh, without further ado, here's TJ Kirk, the Amazing Atheist. Check it out. TJ Kirk, the Amazing Atheist. Thanks for joining me, man. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about. First of all, you've been, you're one of very few people who's been in my YouTube rotation for probably the better part of a decade. Um, and that's, that's an elite group because I do think I'm rather picky in terms of what I consume on YouTube. Um, so I want to get into a bunch of stuff with you. I'm actually very curious about Number one, like how you got your start in YouTube, because you were like, as far as I know, one of the original YouTubers. Um, how you got your start on YouTube, what molded your philosophy uh, and all that fun stuff. So when did you start and tell me about the genesis of it? Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on your show, Kyle. Um <clears throat> I also want to say the reason I'm wearing sunglasses is because I have a splitting fucking headache. It's not because I'm trying to look cool, although I am noticing kind of a low rent Rob Zombie thing going on with myself at the moment. <laughs> um, you do look cool, by the way. Awesome. Good to know. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I started on YouTube because um, people were telling me that I was like a loud, opinionated asshole and that I should probably get on YouTube for those reasons. 
um, because it was like kind of the thing people that were loud and opinionated did in 2006. So I got on there. Um, I had um, some camera equipment that uh, my dad had that I stole from him. And I uh, would go out in the garage uh, late at night. I was still living with my dad at the time. I was like 21. I'd go out in the garage late at night and I'd just turn on the camera and start uh, ranting and raving into it and uploading stuff. And uh, pretty quickly, I found an audience and um, pretty much just been doing the same thing ever since without much uh, improvement. <laughs> just uh, turn on a camera, ah, yell at people, and then um, somehow it keeps working. I don't know. So what was your growth like? Did it start like really slow or did you basically immediately like, oh, look at that. I have 5,000 no, I mean, there, there was pretty much, yeah, it was pretty much immediately a spark. The only time I ever, I think, celebrated a subscriber milestone was when I hit 500 and then again when I hit a million. But then I've, I'm under a million now because I've lost subscribers over the course of the last like three years. But doesn't really like, I don't know. Um, I don't really get to like bogged down in the subscriber thing. It's more just like, as long as people are listening to me, I'm okay. Is, well, the second this, if I look, if I ever see that no one's listening to me, then I'll, uh, then I'll worry. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about too, because I'm experiencing something somewhat similar. Um, it strikes me. So you started out, a lot of the stuff was religion focused. It was atheist focused. Then we went through this phase of, uh, you know, sort of anti-social justice warrior politics where mm -hmm. there was an authoritarian strain on the left that was very loud and aggressive. And you were one of the main people pushing back against that from a position of, no, this isn't really the left thing to do. And your channel experienced a giant boom. And then after that, it sort of leveled out. And like you just said, it then it fell off a little bit. Now you see people like, Sargon of Akkad, for example, who went even harder in that direction and didn't go from I'm criticizing social justice warriors from a left wing position. And that's that. He said, no, actually, I'm going to creep further and further and further and further right. So well, the re that's the reason I don't do that kind of content anymore is because it, be it became such a right wing space that I feel like at some point you had to make a decision. Right. Um, are you going to continue to be left wing or are you going to be in this anti SJW space? Cause it's kind of became an all or nothing proposition. Um, and I really started the anti SJW stuff on YouTube. I mean, my video, it's only sexist when men do it pretty much kicked off all that. But the main criticisms that I always put forth against what I called SJWs at the time, what I would probably call woke scolds today, um, was that, you know, they censor art. They want to, um, uh, control what artists can do, what sort of tools are in the artistic toolbox for any sort of creator. And it's like, well, we don't like that you did this thing. We don't like what you did this thing. And the refrain at the time was always, well, then go make your own art. And now they do. There's plenty of stuff that now caters to the SJW sensibilities. And now it's the, um, now it's the anti SJWs that are constantly trying to control what artists can depict. It's like hey, a black woman, I mean, what is this? It made it political. Diversity gone awry. Woke, woke, woke. It's like, all right, well, I feel like I've pretty consistently been on the side that says that artists and entertainers should be able to express themselves freely, uh, regardless of their politics. Yeah. Um, you know, Destiny made an interesting point about this. Previously, he would make the argument, listen, I don't care what race or gender or whatever some fictional character is. But then what he found out is, 
he was principled in that position in the sense he was like, no, seriously, I don't care if you make Superman black or whatever. He's like, cool. But a lot of the people who said they don't care, they didn't mean they don't care. They just meant kept everything exactly as it is right now. And don't you dare diversify in any way, shape or form. And that's not really a position of not caring. Not caring means not caring. They're, they have the veneer of not caring, but really what they're saying is just keep everything exactly like it is right now, and I'm somehow invested in the current iteration of whatever these fictional characters are. Yeah, I mean, it becomes kind of silly, too, because all these characters have changed drastically over time. Um, there's never been, like, basically what you're asking for is stagnation at that point. <laughs> We want the status quo. We want things to be stagnant, which I guess, since it is a predominantly conservative space, kind of makes sense since that seems to be what they want on a national level as well. Do you feel like that the whole genre, which you just said you birthed, which may be true. I mean, you were one of the early adopters of it. Do you feel like it became just as shrieky and annoying and one note as the stuff you were criticizing, because that's my main criticism of it. Yeah, now. I mean, that's exactly why I left the space. I mean, it just like I do feel like it got to that point where uh, the behaviors that I started off criticizing in, you know, and, you know, in SJWs were now being exhibited by the SJ, uh, the by the anti SJWs. So it's like, OK, well, I mean, whatever. This is this has just gotten to a ridiculous place. I don't even want to be part of the conversation anymore. So I pretty much I've pretty much changed my focus to more like politics uh, and then i have my uh, podcast deep fat fried where the topic can be literally any subject that we want it to be so um there's not much time spent uh, <laughs> uh you know complaining or worrying about the what those people are doing at this point are you proud of the fact that you remain principled so like does the sub loss not bother you at all because you know you did the right thing um i don't really no i don't really care about that Right. So because that would be um, something that I feel I would like give a lot of times principles just kind of become like a code for tradition. And it's like, well, I stuck by my principles. It's like, well, a lot of times what you're telling me is like you refuse to change your mind. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, well, I'd rather be flexible. Like I'm, I'm willing to go where, you know, where it, things take me. But I felt like things took me away from that genre because I just didn't like the whininess that was going on. I didn't like how. I was all this all of a sudden the side that I was on seemed to be the ones hell bent on controlling artists. And uh, that's always been my main thing about it is like leave artists alone, let them create what they what they need to create. Yeah. I mean, just the credit that I would give you is you said what you believed, and even if it had negative consequences for your bottom line, you continued to say what you believe. And at the end of the well, day, I mean, that's how I got as far as I've gotten, you know. I mean, I figure that I'm going to say things and sometimes the things I say are going to be popular and they're going to uh, do. You know, oh, yeah, you, people like it. But if I say something that's not popular, then whatever, I'll speak for the fucking iconoclasts. I mean, right. Just go out there and say what you got to say and let the chips fall where they might. I think there's way too many people out there in this YouTube space that are trying to calculate yeah. what, what opinion to take to Machiavellianly manipulate things like, for instance, the situation you found yourself in with um between the TYT and Jimmy Dore feud where they're feuding against each other and you try to like come out and, you know, say what you really think. You don't want to, you know, you could have probably figured out some way to be like, I'll ingratiate myself here. I'll ingratiate myself there. I'll figure out some way to just stay out of it or whatever the hell you're going to do. But like, um, but instead you're like, look, here's, 
I see this side, I see this side. And in, in the process of that, it's like, they, they all hate you now, right? So <laughs> it's like, um, you stuck by what, but you know, you said what you meant. You meant what you said, fuck them. They yeah. can't fucking deal with it. It's like the chips fall where they may, right? It was really funny to me watching people respond to my take and what I said and what I did because almost it, pretty much nobody got it correct and actually saw it from my perspective because the fact of the matter is I was friends with Anna, Jank, and Jimmy. And because I said what I said, every single one of them hates my fucking guts. So people who were acting like, oh, he was taking the easy way out or trying to split the difference or... No, the reason why I tried to stay out of it originally is because I knew if I say what I really think, all of them are going to fucking hate me and I'm not going to have any friends in this industry. And then you know what? My hand was forced and I had to say what I thought. And then those are the results. So, you know, it's a lonely place sometimes to, to speak your mind. But as you said, I think that's the only pact that we make with the audience in the position that we're in is like I gotta tell you what I think no matter where the chips fall and sometimes that gets you a 99% like rate on a video and sometimes it gets you a fucking 40% like rate on a video sometimes right, it leads you know, to something I mean, sometimes it doesn't yeah I mean like to me I almost like when I do a video and I see that there's like this radical faction against it like a bunch of people didn't like it and are mad at me. Like to me, I'm always like, all right, cool. That shows me I'm still, I'm still fucking real. Right. Right. Cause if I, if, every, if it's video after video of yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point you got to ask yourself, like, am I just a pandering little bitch? Mm. And yeah. it's just like, I feel like there's so many people out there that they just, they, they're constantly trying to please the audience. That's their main focus. It's like, we got to please them. I never view it as my fucking, I never view it as like, it's my job to please them. It's my job to entertain them. It's my job yeah. to interest them, intrigue them, engage them. It's certainly not my job to please them. Fuck yeah. that. It's, People, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I come out there, I say what I say, you say what you say. It's one of the reasons that I actually respect you on this space, whereas there's a lot of people here I don't. Um, but yeah, you know. Yeah, people who have a narrative and they seemingly never, ever, 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 ever buck the narrative or slightly disagree with this aspect or that aspect of it, I look at them and I'm like, you can't really believe every single thing down the line of this like preset ideology. And unfortunately, to your point, I think that the overwhelming majority of people in the space we're in, that's how they function. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because, you know, and the audience needs a fucking fair share of blame on that because the audience, uh, to some degree, that's like if you listen to what they they want, it's like any little toe stepped out of ideological line with what they think you should be saying. It's like, ah, revolt, revolt. It's like, hey, guy, I mean, if you just want your own fucking shit fed back to you, then there's easier ways to do it. Don't come to me. That's not my job. Yeah, I don't want to be in the business of uh, confirmation bias. That's for sure. Right, um, you know, like I'd rather throw out something that pisses you off but is honest. And I mean, hey, maybe you're right and I'm wrong, but at least you've been confronted with a different perspective now. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how do you feel today about like all of your original takes on atheism, religion, anti-theism. Is that an area where you still feel like it holds up 100% or have you changed your mind a little bit on those issues? Yeah, I went too easy on religion back in the day. That's probably the main thing is I was just too nice. I was too capitulatory. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I stand by everything I've ever said, um, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, you know, even if I don't believe what I believe today, I always meant it when I said it. So uh, I can't disavow it. It was the product of who I was at that time. Yeah, that's that last point is important. And that's something that I feel like, too. Even if I look back on something and I cringe at it now, I'm like, yeah, but I completely meant it at the time. So it's almost like I have to have the same kind of sympathy towards that as I would in trying to persuade somebody who might disagree with me today. If anything, it teaches me the lesson to maybe not judge someone who's saying something that I think is stupid now because it's like, hey, I've said things that present day me thinks is stupid. So, you know, got to so, be forgiving, right? That's right. So for me on that issue, because you and I have a, a, a similar background in that sense, like I got into what I do because I stumbled across at basically the same time, like I started reading Chomsky stuff at the same time I started reading Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion. And I was like, oh, this is this stuff is amazing. So it kind of influenced both left wing politics and uh, atheism and anti theism. And I look back on it now and even though I think I was right about like 90% of it, I think a lot of what I was doing, namely in the realm of religion and atheism was, yes, trying to like correct the narrative in a society that's very religious. But also, I do think an aspect of it was like, I want to flex my flex in a way where I'm saying to people like, I figured this shit out and I'm better than you and I'm kind of like almost looking down on you for not being where I am on it. And at least in terms of the tone of how I presented it, I feel like today I would be a little different in the sense that I'd be softer in trying to persuade people to the position. What do you think of that? I mean, I can understand where you are on that, but if anything, I wasn't joking when I said I wish I had been harsher. No, I know. Um, no, I, I, uh, to me, um, I, I feel more so than ever that religion is stupid. Um, I feel that anytime people have some sort of mythical property, they can just allude to and say the facts don't matter because this is the truth, regardless of what the evidence says, regardless of what reason says, this is the truth. And we see where that mentality leads. It's um, we live in now a post-truth world where uh, reality is a choose your own adventure story and uh, the facts don't matter because you can just wave it away as fake news. And it comes from the same sort of dogmatic worldview that, uh, you know, religion exists in. And there's no wonder there's a gigantic cross-section of uh, Christian fundamentalism and conservatism. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any sort of sympathy towards religious perspectives. And also, I've gotten way too many messages from people, especially back in the day, where they talk about the horrors of their religious upbringing. I've probably heard more horror stories about religious upbringings than, than any other human being on the face of the fucking earth because I was the loudest, angriest voice. So the people that were the loudest and angriest towards religion, at least inside, they would uh, reach out to me. And, you know, it was like a lot of people, you know, they were gay or trans mm -hmm. and they grew up in these, this religious environment of uh, oppression or just the fact that they, you know, wanted to think or live a different way. Uh, and it was just like the spirit is crushed and it's, you know, the, the confronted by the pastor. I mean, there's uh, documentaries out there about these horrible places that uh, basically parents consent to have their children kidnapped and uh, sometimes taken to foreign countries 
where they're, you know, indoctrinated by radical right wing Christian ideology. Um, there's one called Kidnap for Christ. Uh, Jesus Camp is another famous one. Yeah. Um, there's it's crazy stuff. I mean, I don't know. Religion is just a, a hideous operation. And, you know, I, I, I get the idea that maybe it brings some people some hope or something like that. And I don't want it to come across like I have like a hatred of religious people because I have I have respect for individual religious people. Um, you know, some of the greatest artists that I admire the most, like Johnny Cash was a very religious man. And I love some of his religious music because it's a very genuine thing that comes from inside of him. But I can still look at religion itself as a malignant social force. And it's not about feeling superior to people. It's about living in a world governed by reason and not madness. Yeah. So first of all, all that was profound. And I think that's an interesting piece of context for people that, you know, since you were the loudest, most aggressive voice in favor of atheism and against dogmatism that people reached out specifically to you to be like, hey, man, like I'm going through hell over here. So I agree with all that. Our fundamental agreement is that since the worldview is not correct, it's not true, truth is always a defense. So correcting the record has inherent value for its own sake. But the thing that I think... I feel a little bit more today than I did previously is that the other side of the picture is, and this is probably informed from my upbringing as well, because I have a mother who's religious and she's, you know, like the sweetest person in the world. I think she's, you know, as close to an angel on earth as can possibly be that the religion also does the, the polar opposite for some people where it makes them uh, good and charitable and they want to feed people and take care of people and give them comfort. And so the intellectual exercise on my part has been, how do I square that circle that this thing, which is not true, makes some people do hideous things and makes them act incredibly dogmatic and conservative. But at the same time, it also leads other people to do good things and then to add one more layer of complexity, like I have somebody in my family who is one of those people who you could tell is like just a little bit off. They're almost living in anxiety 24-7, not happy, don't know how to cope with daily life stuff. And that person— Are they person, conservative? <laughs> they are, like exactly. Yeah, They're very conservative, and they sort of almost use religion to get out of the bed in the morning and function. And I look at right. that and I go, well— I." I would be uncompromising in wanting that person to drop their political conservatism. But on the religion stuff, it's almost like I'll take you living in a happy delusion as long as it makes you not want to kill yourself. You know what I mean? Well, they uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is that those are comorbid attributes, mm. though. Right. I mean, like there's a reason for the giant cross section there. I mean, look, I'm not um, a sociologist or any sort of person who should be taken as an authority on this necessarily. But, you know, in my you know, personal reckoning with the issue, it seems to me like a lot of the guilt intrinsic to Christian dogma is also what drives people to conservatism. Um, I think that those two things kind of like the, the problem with the person that you're talking about is not it's because they're being like literally live in a state of constant fear and agitation. I see it in my in conservatives. That I know it's just like, oh, 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 they're so mad. They're so mad. They're so mad. It's like this recent thing in um, Virginia. I don't want to jump the gun on stuff, but, you know, one of the things I noticed is that when conservatives win, when I'm not talking about Republican politicians, I'm talking about Republican people, rank and file Republicans out there in the world. Uh, when they win, it's almost like it makes them a little madder. 
Mm. It gives them permission to let out a little bit more of that rage. You know, it's like they're not happy they won. They're mad. Take that. We fucking did it in your face. Liberal cuck, motherfucker. (laughs) It's like, you know, like, why are you so upset? You just won. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's just kind of like the mentality. And uh, it's because there's so much fear Oh, it's like I'm scared of the Haitians. I'm scared of the the immigrant coming and taking my job away. I'm scared of the gays, the trans, the taking Dr. Seuss. They're canceling this. They're canceling that. The woke culture is coming for everything I love. They're telling my kid that he's racist. That's what critical race theory is. You know, it's like, all right, all right, all right. Settle down. It's like you got all these fake things that are... And then the stuff that they should actually be concerned about is just like, whatever, ho-hum, climates, right. oh, the world's going to, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Who cares? When, when the left wins, you make a good point. I never thought of it like that. When the left wins, it feels like the language is aspirational, right? Like think of Obama's 2008 win. It's like hope and change and things are going to get better and we're going to do it together. And then when the right wings wins to your point, it's like totally fear-based, totally rage-filled. It's like, this is who we're against. And let's remind everybody just how much against them we are. Like a very like in your face sort of like, yeah, bitch, we got you. It's like, yeah. all right, you did, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, you're not even happy about it. It's like, you can't even... You can't even celebrate your victory. You're just mad. Yeah. So, I I mean, honestly, I think you and I probably agree on like 90% of stuff. Um, wh- how would you describe yourself politically? Like what label, if any, would you use? I have a, like a lot of trouble with uh, the label stuff. Same, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like I feel like the second that I come out and say like, I'm an anarcho-syndicalist or whatever the fucking shit thing. And people are going to be like, no, uh, no, uh. <laughs> and then I have to deal with like a bunch of people like, you don't fit the label. You don't fit the label. You're more like this label. It's like, all right, you know what? Just I'm g- general. I'm just like a left wing guy. Beyond that, you figure it out. You tell me what I am. I'll just I'll tell you what I think. And you you can slap whatever label <laughs> you, you you that that can be you. Yeah. So. My way around that is to just not read the criticism. Like, I think I got really committed to that in principle fairly recently, but I had been trying to achieve that for probably two years where it's like, look, when you hit a certain size, you get, you know what's genuine criticism and what's just like vitriol and hatred and like they want to say, fuck you and take you down. And I honestly think a human being has a very um, small tank of accepting that and like once you hit like three or four comments in one day that are just that pure vitriol it makes you feel like shit if you're a human and so i really See, I'm glad I'm, I'm i guess i'm not very human because to me when i get the vitriol i'm just like <laughs> oh, it's a key difference I, you are. I, I guess look, i'm sensitive i'm just like i don't know when i see that um i i feel like I don't know, there's a line I don't uh, uh, in a, a great philosopher named Slipknot once <laughs> said, uh, <laughs> I don't mind being I, I might fuck up the line. I might I don't mind being ogled, ridiculed, made to feel minuscule when you consider the source. It's kind of pitiful. I don't know. I've always had that mentality. It's like if this motherfucker is really going off on a tear in a YouTube comment section, like think about where their life's at. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. can you imagine ever doing that? No, Fucking, I'm so mad, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's a good uh, point. I, 
I definitely have sympathy for them, but at the same time, I guess I'm more sensitive than I thought I was. I used to think I had a thick skin, but when you hit just enough criticism, it's like, <laughs> so, you know, I just unplugged from it. Um, yeah, just fucking get out of there then. It's pretty much. That. Yeah. So let's, again, I think we agree on most things. So it would probably be interesting for people if we discuss areas that we might disagree. Um, and actually, I don't know if I disagree with you on this one, but I'll ask you about this one first because you're very passionate about it. Uh, make your case for nihilism. Nihilism, I would make a simple reductive argument um, in the same way that there's no evidence of God. There's no evidence of inherent meaning to existence. Um, do with that what you will. Now, I mean, you can take that from you can take that to I'm a nihilist. There's no meaning in the world, so I'm ugh, I'm depressed and I'm sad and I'm going to be like really surly and stuff. Um, or you could just be like, um, I think most reasonable people who come to that realization, which is like, well, I still have meaning in my life. I can still experience the emotion that is meaning, which really it is an emotion. Um, I have a sense of this having some sort of grander meaning. I choose what I value. I can create you know, the, these feelings within myself or they exist there, you know, regardless of whether I create them or not. So I'll just, you know, let that be my guiding star. And I feel like everyone does that, whether they believe in objective meaning or not. Like, you know, you if, if someone does believe there's like an objective meaning, like, what is it? And, uh, you know, if there is one, what if it's horrible? Mm. Like, what if you what if you find out the objective meaning of life is like a horrible thing and like light, the meaning of life is to suffer? And be miserable. It's like, all right, well, you're gonna go with that. Yeah, uh, you're gonna. Are you gonna question it? So, I don't know. I I, I feel like people who, um, that to me, nihilism is just the absence of meaning. I understand that you know, like most words, different people have different conceptions of what it means. But when I when I say nihilism, I mean the rejection of inherent meaning to the universe. So, so you definitely. It sounds like you don't begrudge people their like deeply held subjective meaning if anything you might you know cheer that on right because it's also i mean all meaning is subjective so yeah i don't i can't begrudge anyone whatever they think means something to them i mean um you know sometimes i can you know if my meaning clashes with their meaning then we might have <laughs> some arguments and stuff about worldviews and uh you know you can break out all the fancy college words about consequentialism or this and that uh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it does kind of all boil down to like subjective interests. Um, I think that like ultimately if, if I say I'm a leftist, what I'm saying is that I believe that society should be as just and equitable and free from hierarchy as possible. Um, that's what I mean by it. Uh, but you know, um, that those are ultimately subjective things. Like if you believe that the world should be, you know, divided among the supposed strong and the supposed weak and that certain men have a right to, you know, endless wealth to rival the GDP of nations, then that's also a subjective belief. It's one that I'm going to fight because I don't understand how anyone would want a world like that. But, you know, if, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. So, I, have, I haven't really disagreed with anything you've said to this point, but I think the area where we might branch off into a disagreement is, does this concept of nihilism also 
uh, cross into the realm of morality and ethics? Would you say that's completely subjective as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Explain that for everybody. I mean, it just boils down to the same thing. Like if there's an objective moral, I mean, what is it? Because no matter what you're talking about, any human activity, no matter how reprehensible has been normalized under some social condition at some point in time. I mean, like this country was founded by slave owners for fuck's sake. Um, you know, if you're going to say that slavery is wrong, I'm going to agree with you. If you're going to say that it's objectively wrong by some sort of external cosmic standard that just doesn't exist. Now you can, you can create, you can look at the issue through different ethical frameworks. Here's what it looks like through a consequential framework. Here's what it looks like through a utilitarian framework. Here's what it looks like through this framework or that framework. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just subjective. And I know it's uh, uncomfortable for people because they want this like, Oh God, no, it has to be objectively wrong. Like enslaving human beings that offends me on such a deep core level that there has to be some thing outside of myself that can validate that. Right. But it's not there. I mean, you know, I wish it was maybe, um, but it's not. So there's a few responses I have to that. Um, one of them is let's just give a totally hypothetical scenario where you pick whatever society on the planet, but and going back however far you want, like let's say you have a neighbor who's um, a friend of yours and your family's and you guys have shared meals together and had fun together and maybe you farm together or whatever the fuck. Uh, and then one day one of the neighbors, when the other neighbor isn't paying attention, goes up behind him and chops his head off with an axe. Wouldn't almost every society, and even if, not every society would say, hey, that's immoral, but would, even if 90% of society said that's immoral, aren't they touching on some sort of objectively immoral? Aren't they touching on sort of uh, some sort of bedrock truth there that perhaps we don't have the language or the capacity to explain as humans? Well, you know, who might find it very moral is uh, your family when you come back with the other, the dead man's riches and wealth, and then their lifestyle is all of a sudden much more extravagant. Um, and, you know, like we in this country accept that, like uh, how much of uh, these, you know, products and goods and services that we, you know, utilize in this country are, uh, you know, built on the suffering of people, you know, uh, on the other side of the globe where we can't see them, you know? Um, you know, human beings have constantly engaged in this sort of like exploitation and brutality to one another throughout history. And, you know, we can find it repugnant, but ultimately it's been morally acceptable and it is to this day. I mean, apparently, because that's how our society continues to function. Like we still um, like the lithium in our, you know, little EV car batteries that we feel so good about is being mined by, you know, kids in Africa that don't get that wealth. It's all stolen by multinational predatory corporations and stuff, you know. Um, but that, you know, we're not like, ah, I refuse to use that lithium battery. No, we still use it. The chocolate. Oh, well, that's picked by slave kids. Well, you know, it tastes good. Um, so this is, you know, this is the morality that our country, you know, continues to live on. Um, you know, if we want to. The cool thing about there not being an objective morality is that we can change it. So if we look at around at the status quo of like what's morally acceptable and we see like, hey, this is actually quite lacking in my opinion. 
we can advocate for its change. He's like, look, this system creates unnecessary suffering. We should try to create a system with minimal suffering. To me, that just makes very logical sense. Um, so I think we should, you know, I think we should employ that. Because if you say there's an objective morality, then your worst enemy can uh, quantify their morality as a, objective and say, well, no, I think that, you know, this system of uh, brutality and exploitation we've got is actually quite moral, thank you very much, because, you know, the free market or whatever justification. Yeah, I mean, I guess my disagreement with that would be the notion that over time throughout human history, fair-minded people have had this instinct to evolve out of the worst practices, including the ones that you laid out there of their slaves who are mining the minerals to put in your iPhone and slaves doing X, Y, or Z thing, which benefits the U.S. economy. And all that stuff is true, but I guess my point is when you explain that to any fair-minded person, they're like, yeah, we should probably stop that. And where does that right. come from? I'm arguing well, it's not arbitrary. Then, it's something it's bedrock like, that we can't explain. Well, the iPhone is built on exploitation. Yeah, we should totally stop that. Hold on, I'm getting a call. What's up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but so that's the really that's like, the Ben Shapiro like. Yet you participate in society, right, but, but, mean, you, but you, you want to fix it. But you, but you do though, right? I mean, like we all do. So like tacitly, like by through our actions, we're all sort of like rubber stamping this every day. And, you know, like, I get it. There's not, like, much of an alternative for, for us. It's like, unless you want to go, look, like, I'm going to go wander off into the woods and live in a treehouse. But, like, you know, still, by and large, we're all participating in this society. And it's like, well, um, you know, if you participate in a society where slavery is codified, then you're part of that system, right? I mean, you're you're still a collaborator in that um, you don't get to just say, well, that's just like, that's the way society is. So it's like totally excusable. And I can, I'm, I'm free from guilt. I'm blameless in this. I simply, I came here and this was already going on. <laughs> I am, I am blameless. Uh, I think everyone has to like realize that, you know, there's culpability. Um, that's not to say that like, oh, well, everything you're saying against this society is like the, what Ben Shapiro's doing is saying, you can't criticize this because you're participating in it, in it. I'm not saying you can't criticize it because you participate in it. I'm just saying that realize your complicity in, in what the system is. So um, let me just make an, uh, an analogy real quick because this is a way that helped me understand it. But so when a person is born, there's, you know, code for you in your DNA and your genetics and you basically – you know, the baby is going to grow and become a teen and then become an adult human. And like the process of that is not arbitrary. And so the point that Chomsky makes, not in regards to this, but in regards to the conversation about freedom is he says, think of human freedom like an instinct or an evolutionary process. And over time, human beings, generally the trend is we keep pushing more and more and more for more freedom, more autonomy, more independence, and generally improving the situation around us. And I think my takeaway from that in the realm of morality and ethics is that maybe my like puny human brain and capacity to understand the world just doesn't have the proper uh, mechanisms to grasp that there is maybe some sort of like innate natural law that gives us an instinct and an evolutionary process to get towards 
a better future that is actually objectively better, that it's not just subjective and like, hey, your opinion of murdering is okay. That's just as valid <laughs> as this person saying it's not okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's uh, better frameworks to look at it through than the lens of morality because it's just kind of a messy one. I think that, you know, you could say, look, tangibly, we have a situation here where less people are suffering, uh, more people are prospering, more people can feed themselves, more people can clothe themselves, more people can, you know, do these basic human happiness. So the more the easy, like the the higher up the bottom of society is, the more that people on the bottom can enjoy some quality of life, the more the more you can be assured that you're not going to end up, you know, homeless on the streets or something, the more you can be assured that you live in a functional place with a strong social safety net. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that work towards that. There's a lot of people that work against that. Usually it's people who have already like achieved some success or people who have been, you know, scared into it by, you know, these weird little culture war issues. But, um, you know, I, I just feel like, the the will to improve our our station, the will to improve our you know state of being is I mean that's pretty much something that's part and parcel for all organisms. You know it's not just human beings that do that. You know uh, most animals are trying to create ideal conditions for for themselves. Um, you know uh, a, a bee doesn't create a, a hive of uh, of misery. You know <laughs> they create a functional one where they can all get the honey and you know serve the queen and protect the offspring and whatever their instincts might be. Um, you know, uh, a, a, an animal like a gorilla or something is not, you know, trying to not have a cool territory. He's trying to have an awesome territory and a big harem of uh, female gorillas. Um, so it's just like, you know, most creatures are seeking out uh, the best possible situation for themselves that they can possibly muster up. Human beings are no different. And this same will towards improvement, by the way, is also what drives men like Jeff Bezos to accrue fortunes that could, you know, buy off, you know, <laughs> entire countries uh, because he's trying to improve his situation. It's like gotten out of control in him. It's just like more, more, more. Yes. <laughs> so much resources marshaled to my command. You know, it's the same impetus, like the idea that uh, human beings want something better for themselves. It can be a driver of what I consider to be good things. It can be a driver of what I consider to be bad things. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily all a rosy picture there. Yeah, I mean, those are all poignant points, I guess. And I'll give you the last word on the issue of nihilism in a second. But I guess my final thing I'd say on it is, um, particularly in the realm of morality and ethics as it pertains to nihilism, the Supreme Court once said when they were uh, deciding a case on the issue of porn uh, they were asked what constitutes porn, and they said effectively, partly in jest, but also seriously, they said, quote, we know it when we see it. And I kind of feel like that about morality and ethics, that when I look at certain things, genocide, war crimes, torture, murder, and, you know, there's a list of them, but I do feel comfortable saying that they're objectively wrong, even though I can't necessarily put an equation on a blackboard and prove it. Right, but I mean, like, you know, the fact that genocides have occurred <laughs> kind of shows that a lot of people have looked at it and said, like, yeah, 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 that's good. So, yeah, but they're wrong you know. is my point. <laughs> well, I mean, they could be wrong, but like if it's objective, then, you know, how come everyone's not built with this innate like I know it when I seize it? You know, they knew it when they saw it, too. They went with that same logic and it led them to genocide people. You know, they knew it when they saw it. I knew when I saw them Jews 
that it was probably better if they were just gone. You know, I just know it because it's that's just like I feel that's true. Yeah, morally, well, the argument you know? is that that's a perversion of the instinct. If you ever read the book Ordinary Men, you get the sense that a lot of the people who were shoving Jews in gas chambers were like, I kind of know this is fucked up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, I think that most people have an aversion to hurting other people. So, right. Um, which is a good thing because that's yeah. just like as a social animal, you know, we obviously it's obviously usually in our best interest to not harm each other. And usually when human beings do harm each other, it's because they've been uh, convinced to pseudo speciate them, which is to like remove them from uh, humanity in their minds. You know, the Jew is a mongrel dog. Right. He is yeah. not a human. Or, you know, I definitely see it in the rhetoric of a lot of like right wingers when they talk about uh, immigrants yeah, um, there's that a takes, certain degree of dehumanization. I think it can be pretty extreme in some cases, by oh, the way. That takes a lot of brainwashing, a lot of propaganda. And then what definitely doesn't hurt is you mix in some terrible material conditions, sort of like what led to World War II when you had the Treaty of Versailles, which totally fucked Germany for a generation. And so you mix in like material and economic uh, deprivation with. Uh, brainwashing and scapegoating and it's like the perfect brew to make people absolute monsters i agree with that yeah um so i mean i want to ask you if, if you have any questions or issues that that you'd like to to bring up uh to me but i don't know if you had thought about that beforehand or anything so i don't want to put you on the spot um i did want to talk a little bit about this uh situation in virginia um mm -hmm. and these this democrat loss and stuff and um you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about Democrats in general. I kind of got into Republicans and how when something bad happens to a Republican or well, I'm sorry, when something good happens, when they achieve a victory, it's like the response is anger. Um, and I think it's interesting that uh, the Democrats have a very different, like you said, more of like an aspirational tone to their victories. Um, I'm more I'm, I'm interested more at this point. I think we, when we talk about Democrats and Republicans, we always talk about the politicians. We always talk about what the political, you know, what the, the, cause you know, the Republican politician and the Republican voter are not the same fucking thing by a long shot. The democratic politician and the democratic voter are not the same thing by a long shot. And, um, I wanted to kind of, uh, ask myself, and I guess it, this ties maybe to the political class as well, but like a lot of people I know who are Democrats or Democrat leaning, or even just left leaning, even if they've totally rejected the Democrats as a party or like a viable option for themselves. Um, you know, everybody's got this idea about what happened, why there was this big loss in, in Virginia. Um, and I, 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 I've heard every perspective from from people out there, uh, Democrat people about why um, or, or like I said, just left leaning people um, about why the, the, the party lost. And, you know, it, I've heard, um, uh, you know, people say, well, they're just. They want they, they're they're well-meaning, the politicians, but they, you know, they get obstructed or they're like just lily livered. They can't quite, uh, uh, you know, overcome the obstacles that have been laid out before them or something like that. Um, but I kind of just and I've also heard like that they're malicious, you know, like the the Democrats and Republicans, it's all just a big show. It's a facade. They work together on everything. It's all just like part of the grand scheme to control us all as a single monolithic party. And any sort of like sense that there's actual opposition is just completely illusory. 
Uh, and, you know, I started to question, you know, maybe Democrats are just lazy. You know, maybe it's just like pure laziness. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's, hey, man, we got to do some of these kids in cages. It's like, hey, uh, we looked into that. We tried and like, it's hard. <laughs> it's just like really hard. <laughs> and like Joe Biden, like, Joe, you know, your your agenda is getting um, subverted by, you know, mansion and cinema. Well, I don't want to make a big thing out of it. What do they want? You take the health. It tell, OK, health care is gone. Prescription drug price is gone. Family leave that all that's gone. It's gone. Are they happy yet? No, they need more. OK, here's some more concessions. You happy now? OK, cool. We got it. You know, and it's just like past path of least resistance, basically just like, eh, you know. We're here. What are you going to do? Vote Republican? Eh, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're um, evil. We're lazy. It's just how it is. What do you want? And that's why it's like, I don't even fucking bother. I don't understand people who still at this point get upset about Democrats being fucking terrible. Because it's like, well, like, I mean, haven't you gotten used to it yet? <laughs> it's like, I wish we had a real political party of opposition in this country. Well, you know, you, you can wish all you want. Doesn't seem like it's happening. Yeah, it, it's just... I still get upset because it's just that so much hinges on it that we can't afford to have them lose and have them suck and have them be corrupt and, and all the above. But to your point on on laziness, I mean, I I don't think Biden really cares about the specifics and the details. I think Biden really, really, really wanted to become president. Um, he became president. If you look back at his whole time uh, as a senator, what are the things he was most passionate about? Well, one of the things was the fucking crime bill, which was like a tough on crime right wing idea. The things yeah. that he cared deeply about are really not um, left priorities. So now don't get get me wrong. I do think that. As he's gotten older, I do think he's gotten like a little bit better. If you look at the campaign he ran um, this time around, he was definitely one of the most moderate candidates on stage um, at the debates. But at the same time, it, it has come quite a bit from the political winds of the 1990s. So I don't want to give people the wrong impression. But I do think another thing that motivates him is the idea that the people in the Obama administration really look down on him because the people in the Obama administration are like the quintessential, you know, coastal elites who have the degrees from the best universities. And here's old Joe, who's a backslapping politician from a previous era, and they look down on him. And the reason why Obama picked Joe Biden is because he wanted to pick off the white working class and the Rust Belt. And they figured, ah, Joe's good enough for that. And so they picked him for that reason. And so I think one of the things that drives Biden, to the extent there's anything driving Biden, is this idea of, I kind of want to one-up Obama. And so, you know, there was that famous thing where he's like, we don't want to make the same mistakes that the Obama administration made. Well, what mistakes did Obama make? He didn't go far enough. The stimulus bill was under uh, a trillion dollars back then during the 2008 crash. And Larry Summers famously, who's a fucking idiot, convinced Obama you can't go over that trillion dollar number. Obamacare was a Heritage Foundation plan. It's a right wing think tank. So Biden came in and I do think it's genuine that he wants to outdo Obama. So what does that mean? You got to be a little bit to the left of Obama on these things. Well, his first COVID package arguably did outdo Obama with the $1,400 checks and the price tag was higher than Obama uh, was for his and even adjusting for inflation. So, um, uh, but I don't disagree with your theory. The idea that at least many in the leadership are lazy and just kind of path of least resistance and, 
just trying to split the difference between rank corruption and common sense, I think that defines the Democratic Party. I don't even think it's like a matter of splitting. I really just feel like they'll just bend over for most of it. Just like not even really bend over because that that implies some sort of effort. They just kind of like let it like sluice through them like, eh, you know, the more evil shit the Republicans do, the more we just like look good by default. So let them be evil. And uh, we don't have to actually really fucking put forth any effort because obviously we'll be endlessly rewarded for nothing because we keep winning, you know, yeah, <laughs> we might lose one here and there. But it's like ultimately they'll always come crawling back to us after some Republican takes office and does a bunch of crazy shit. They'll be like, oh, my God, we fucking oh, shit. Like, I feel like uh, I feel like the Democratic Party is like America's boring day job and like. The Republican Party is like America's like wild night that got out of control. It's like <laughs> they wake up, they're next to Trump, and they're like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> I got to get my life back in order. And then they go back to the office and they realize this is fucking boring. This sucks. You want to know something funny, TJ, is I've had a very similar thought before that like yeah. Trump is America's crazy ass boyfriend and America, you know, hey, America broke up with Trump in 2020. But now if you look at the polls, 50 percent of Democrats. A lot of them are looking at that picture like, yeah, Trump. 50. I remember Trump. <laughs> 50. He didn't treat me all that well, but he knew how to fuck me at least. <laughs> Nearly half of Democrats don't want Biden to run in 2024. Don't want Dude, Biden to be the nominee. 2024 is going to be the most epic fucking shit show I mean, like we're I feel kind of privileged to be alive to see the shit show that is going to be 2024 because there's like I keep going through scenarios in my head. I'm like, well, if that happens, that's going to be insane. But if that happens, that's going to be insane. But if that happens, that's going to be really insane because like, OK, Trump's definitely going to run again. Right. Unless he's dead, unless Trump dies right. or has like a serious health issue or is like jailed for like treason or something. <laughs> he's fucking he's he's running. So if he runs again. He loses like we already know what his fucking fan base is going to do then because they're never going to accept the election results. There's going to be like this is, you know what? They stole it twice from us. They're never going to let us have a, 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 an election win again. So it's time for the revolution, guys. And then that might fizzle out after like a day or two or that might be like January 6th on steroids where they're like, now we're armed. Now we're going to fucking mm. take the country back because – They've stolen our vote voice two times now. We will not take it anymore. Um, and if Trump wins again, you're going to have a whole other section of people fucking freaked out about it. Uh, probably not quite as much as if Trump loses, but you're going to definitely see a fucking Trump win freak out. Um, and then it's just like the question of like who's even going to be on the Democratic ticket. Like because right. Biden is clearly like. I mean, we knew it before we even fucking elected his ass. Like, he's not playing with a full deck. Everybody fucking sees that. Um, like, you know, Biden is like at least 20 percent fucking diminished capacity from when but he was who's going to take man. his place because whoever right. would replace him would be worse. Have, I know it's like you have Bernie Sanders, who's six thousand years old. <laughs> not happening. Yeah. You know, he's just like, um, <laughs> we're going to do it this time. It's like, no, OK, go back to the hills, old prospector. It's not going to work. Pains me to say um, it, but yeah. 
Yeah, you have Kamala Harris, who's like, oh, my God, she is not ready for prime time. You and they don't mean? know that. Democrats don't know that she would know, probably get it's trounced. It's so tragic. They just don't see it. Yep. They don't see that she's not there. You know what? And it sucks because I feel like if it weren't for their interference, she kind of could be. Because I, I remember watching her in that very first Democratic debate of the 20, um, yep. 2020 season. I was like, you know what? I, she impressed me. Yep. And then every time I saw her after that, it was like she was worse and worse and every worse. Time. It's because – it's because on her own, using her own like instincts from within, she actually has good instincts. But the fucking Democratic strategists fill her head with so much fucking nonsense that you can tell she doesn't know which way is fucking up. And then she's like a fucking putz. Because, um, you know, naturally she's a sassy, angry fucking black woman. Um, and, uh, you know, that when she comes out and is that, it works. Uh, she was that in the first debate, but then, you know, she was basically co-opting like a slightly watered down version of what Bernie was saying at the time. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, she went up in the polls because people were like, oh, well, Bernie Sanders is very old. I like his agenda, but here it is in a much younger, more vibrant package. And so they gravitated towards her, but she's totally full of shit and empty fucking suit has no actual principles of any kind. So they're just like. She dropped that as the second some donors were like, here, this is money, but don't say that shit anymore. And then, oh, yeah, I won't. And then, of course, she crashed. She tanked. Mm -hmm. uh, no, like the excitement around her just uh, died overnight. And they're like, what happened? We don't know. We're stupid. Um, so then, you know, they, they, slice, they, they slap her in the VP slot. And uh, now, you know, you got a VP who has no chance of fucking winning a gen election, uh, maybe against Trump. Because I think that as much as there's like this... I think that Trump is, is you know, the, the, the disadvantage of Trump is always getting, like his advantage is the people who love him, love him. But his disadvantage is the people who hate him, fucking hate him. Yeah. So I feel like he's got he's kind of got, got a built in super bad weakness because he's very polarized. True. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of people are going to be driven to the polls to vote for him, but a lot of people are gonna driven to the polls to vote against him. So she might win on the Trump hate vote again because like never underestimate. You know, uh, a bunch of people who are super pissed off at a particular politician. But, you know, she's just not she ain't got it. Um, and then I'm trying to I, I try to think about the other Democrats. Like, who's got it? Pete Buttigieg. He got it. He don't got it. He don't got it. Oh, who's my God. Got it? Trump versus Mayor Pete. Oh, yeah, like, can you imagine the fucking debate. There? Oh. I mean, it's like, yeah, Pete would be doing these like West Wing attempted burns and the whole country would be like and Trump would be like. Little yeah, Petey over here, you think like, you're a tough guy? Up, sounds like trumped up, trickled down, <laughs> you know? They're going to have a bunch of those zingers in his back pocket, you know, and it's going to be like, uh-oh, this I, ain't going to work. I don't trust, because you made, you analyzed and it Trump perfectly. Trump will just come out and fucking be like, hey, what's up, fudge packer? You know? <laughs> yeah, he would say some shit like that, you know, and then he'd go up like, 10 oh points God, in the polls. He's horrible, and then, you know, a bunch of Republicans be like, I like that he said Yeah! All right. Um, Called him a fudge packer. I, I like that someone finally drew attention to that. <laughs> Spoke up for morals. I don't trust that Kamala or Elizabeth Warren or any of them, because you're right. Kamala came out the gates hot, was in the top, you know, polling among the top candidates because she was like, I'm just like Bernie, except I'm young and black. And people were like, cool, we like you. And then she yeah. tanked when she stopped doing that. Elizabeth Warren, same thing. She came out the gates hot because she was like, hey, I'm like Bernie, but I'm a woman. And maybe I seem like I'm more intelligent and technocratic and people liked her. And then she tanked because she went all in on like the overly woke nonsense. And I don't even trust them 
to understand that the original formula was why they originally polled high. Because if they were smart, like Kamala could just try it again and be like, I'm just going to copy everything Bernie said. And then she could win the primary and could win potentially a general. But I don't even think they'll be able to figure that out. You have to remember, though, like, I I don't think it's that they don't see it. I think it's that they don't want to see it because like the reality that that, you know, faces every Democrat is like, look, we could fucking easily win because our ideas or at least some of the ideas that have been floated in our party are really very popular. They pull very well. People want them. People like them. Uh, These economic populist ideas are very extraordinarily popular and have gigantic cross appeal even. And it's like, it should be a no brainer for us to embrace this stuff. But then they're like, well, then again, our donors really don't like those ideas very much. So, um, eh, well, we'll lose a few more elections. Oh, well, that actually gets right back to the thing you started talking about, which is McAuliffe. Um, I mean, there's a plethora of reasons why he lost, but his campaign was based. It was a left. (laughs) <laughs> left destroyed him. No, I'm joking. I'm, I, guess I saw you for a second. Like, is he serious? No, I'm not. Serious. No, I had it's to hear ridiculous. what you were saying. And I heard oh. when I heard left, I left. I wasn't like TJ uh. serious. I know you're not a moron. <laughs> um, so th- Trump bad was his campaign. His closing ad was like all Trump, which is like he's not fucking president. Really ridiculous thing he sent out that like had a picture of Trump. Being, like it was like. It was basically like he sent out a pro like Trump loves uh, my opponent. Right. <laughs> but he didn't even say it like that. It was like it literally looked like a piece of like pro Trump shit. Right. That was actually from him. And it was like, what are you doing? He, like, who is advising you? What are you? What? Huh? He actually inadvertently helped Yunkin because Yunkin had to do a difficult balancing act of not pissing off the Trump base, which still makes up the base of the Republican Party, but also picking off now um, Democratic-leaning suburbanites. And Yunkin was the perfect package for that. He's yeah, sort I mean, of he, inoffensive he, in his presentation. He's yeah. kind of like a Mitt Romney business-type person. He didn't have Trump campaign for him. He didn't want him there. He didn't talk about immigration. But what he did do is not really disavow the Trump types. He didn't go full Liz Cheney with, like, January 6th is terrible and the election was won yeah, by but Biden. you know what you should have done? You should have gone, as McAuliffe should have gone to all the fucking Trump voters and been like, this guy disavows Trump. Mm, right. Is this guy a real Republican or what? Right. Won't even stand by the leadership of the party. That's right. McAuliffe. He's, he ain't got your back, people. He, he refused to even let Trump come here and speak to you. You know, he just all he is is a politician through and through and like get those people fucking unjazzed about this guy. Don't make the conversation about some fucking bullshit red herring topic like goddamn critical race theory, you know, like refocus. But like, what's he got? Because they can't he can't do the economic populism because you don't want to piss off the donor class. They they can. It's like they're, they're, they 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 they'll leave like victory on the table rather than fucking turn down that money. They'll just do it because they know like ultimately people will come crawling back to them just because the Republicans are so awful. So they just, all they have to do is coast on like mediocrity and they're there. They just, they get, they'll win on that and they know they will. So they just, there's no reason for them to fucking change. I don't know if they have a true objection to just lying about shit because if they don't, then they can learn that like, Oh, I'm just going to only talk about economically popular stuff. I'm not going to touch the culture war with a 10-foot pole, and then I'll win by 10 points in every election. 
Well, yeah, but if they did that, then uh, then they don't deliver. You know, eventually, yeah, yeah. They're, eventually, it's gonna be like you never deliver on this shit. So right. it's better to just not promise anything. Just True, like, yeah, but I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna say nothing. Republicans, you know, we might make vague allusions to that. Or you know, if they were really good, if the if the Democrats really fucking knew how to lie, they would find their own bullshit culture war issues and fucking just make the election about that, like. These Republicans, a bunch of goddamn child rapists. That's why there's all these red states that got these child marriage laws. That's what they're about. Yeah. Just make the election about some bullshit like that instead of fucking actually focusing on issues. But Democrats don't do that either. They just they fucking basically um, I don't even know what they do at this point. It's just like a bunch of empty platitudes, some vague allusion to how things are going to get better. And, um, you know, maybe they got like one or two little policy positions they trot out and then don't do shit about, you know, there's not like, I, as far as McAuliffe goes, I didn't pay super close attention to his campaigns. I don't know what he talked about, but I know that a lot of him, a lot of it was him getting bogged down in culture war shit with the Republicans where, you know, that's what happened. you know, you're not going to fucking, you're not going to win that because nope. that's a tailor made issue that, that like, here's the problem with, with an issue like critical race theory and a fucking general election. Um, you can ex to actually explain what critical race theory is requires you to sit down and have like a nuanced discussion with people. Right, exactly. And that's not how you win. You can't win an election with a nuanced discussion because nope. people are not like, I mean, I'm sorry. A lot of people out there are not very nuanced. They're just like, slogan, slogan. There's no slogan that explains critical race theory, but there's plenty of slogans you can use to fucking discredit it. Like, they're trying to tell all your kids they racist just because they white. And that's like all you got to do. Throw that sentence out over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. Fucking and then like, OK, well, I hate I hate it now. I ain't voting for that. I don't want my yeah. kid to be told they're racist. See, here's how I would have handled that. You swat it aside in one fell swoop. No, we're not. And then you say, stop trying to change the conversation. I'm going to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour and you're not. Yeah, whatever happened it. to like. What are having to like, I don't think that's what the people of the great state of Virginia are concerned about. I think they're concerned that 38% of Virginians, blah, blah, you know, like, yeah, just do that. But you right. can't, you can't do that because then it's like, it sounds like you're actually going to fucking do something for them. Right. And maybe if you're a more bold liar, maybe you can get away with it, I guess. But right. a lot of them know they ain't doing shit. So they don't want to even promise shit because they don't want it to be fucking thrown back at them later. Like you didn't do the stuff you promised. Like, hey, I didn't promise shit. It's like Joe Biden. What did he run on? I'm going to hope and change and stuff. It's going to be great, Jack. You'll see. And then, you know, anything he does, we're like, holy shit, he did a policy. Look, you see, he did a policy, guys. We're so desperate. Like, ah, policy change, sir. <laughs> like, let's actually let's actually end on this about Biden. Right. Let's end right. on this about Biden. So um, you softened a little bit from 2016 to 2020. 2016, you're like, I'm not fucking voting for the lesser two evils. Fuck Hillary Clinton. I'm out. Uh, 2020, yeah. you softened a little bit on that. Um, I'm not too far apart from you. 2016, I actually argued that Hillary was the lesser of two evils and people should suck it up and vote for her in swing states. But I personally, since I lived in New York, I voted for Jill Stein and I didn't hold back on either Trump or Hillary. Now, 2020, Biden, I pretty much the same as 2016. Maybe I moved a little bit in the direction of like, it's okay, go ahead and vote for him if you live in a swing state. Maybe I was a little softer on Biden than Hillary just because I think he was just a little bit better than Hillary. But um, ultimately, I did the same thing. I, I didn't vote for Joe Biden, even though if I lived in a swing state, I would have voted for Joe Biden. Um, explain what you did and why, and we'll end on this. Uh, well, I, um, I saw that there was like a lot of 
issues where, uh, I mean, honestly, if I look back at the pattern of my life, I've noticed that much in the same way the American people kind of swing back and forth between Republicans and Democrats, like trying to find the solution. I kind of do that on this issue. I kind of, cause I remember I voted for John Kerry mm. in uh whatever year that was oh, four. a mil- million years ago, <laughs> voted for John Kerry and then he didn't win. I was like, God damn it. And uh, then, you know, it was time to vote for uh, Obama or whatever. And I just like, yeah, I, don't, I sat both Obama elections out. And I think I sat, um, I, I went out and voted for Bernie in the primaries, but I didn't go vote for Hillary. Hillary in the general because I live in like a, I lived in a solid red state. I still do. Mm. There's no there's no there's no prayer that it was gonna um, matter. Um, and then uh, you know I, I I went and voted for Joe Biden because I hated Trump. So I think that honestly like the two time the two the the two times I've actually voted in presidential election, it's been to try to oust a Republican incumbent that I hate. So that seems to get me out there mm. to the polls. Uh, mm. You know, which is like a. I just feel like I actually did try to vote for Obama the first time. Uh, I, I, there was like a problem getting registered, but um, uh, you know, but like I, I, I kind of like go back and forth. I sit, I sit some elections out. I show up for others. Uh, kind of just depends on what the situation is. But I guess ultimately, I've kind of come to the opinion that it really doesn't matter whether you vote or not. I think that it's fine to do it. I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine not to do it. I don't think it's really fucking harmful unless. You actually have a politician that uh, is promising some sort of actual change, um, you know, and and has some policy positions that you like. Then you know, maybe see it in yourself to go to the polls and and do the vote. Uh, but you know, as far as like, here's centrist Democrat versus Republican. I mean, I don't know. I can see the point of the people who say we got to vote for the centrist Democrat because the Republicans going to stack the Supreme Court and they're going to do this, that and the other thing It's going to be very deleterious to society. I totally see that perspective. But then I also see the perspective that uh, voting for the Democrat just kind of enables the same sort of tepid whatever behavior from them where they don't actually ever even promise anything anymore. It's just like uh, they're just like the, the Republicans are like the shit sandwich party and the democrats are like the shit sandwich with a pickle on the side party and it's like all right well i mean like technically i'd rather have the pickle because at least that's edible but like it's not much in terms of sustenance so i mean like you keep voting for that and it's like well you're gonna they're just gonna give you that for eternity then because you're you're obviously not ever gonna hold their feet to the fire and and demand something better but then you know you watch society crumble so i can kind of see both sides of it so just kind of like i just encourage people to, you know, just take it uh, election by election, weigh out the issue every time. Don't be um, don't be stuck in the box of I'm just going I never vote or I always vote. Just have give yourself the permission to do whatever, whichever one you feel is best at the time, like because there might yeah. be a situation where you think it's not worth it this election. What they're giving us is just too shit for me to even vote for. I'd rather fucking just suffer through a Republican administration and then maybe hope for something better in four years. Um, but you know, maybe you feel the other way, but like, just follow your honest instincts because that's all you can really do. I don't think that you should slavishly be uh, a voter. I don't think you should slavishly be a non-voter. Um, just, you know, take it, take it issue by issue, election by election. I think that that's what makes sense for me. That's what I would encourage others to do. Yeah. I've actually come to really, really dislike anybody 
who doesn't view this as a giant conundrum or paradox. And I really appreciate and respect the fact that you view it as such and you talk about it as such. You understand that this is a conversation that you and I could have for fucking three or four hours on this topic alone. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody seems to want there to be an easy ne- answer. Right. There isn't. Yeah. And there's just not. There's just not. So in my mind, it's like, ideally, if we lived in an ideal world, it's like, imagine what an ideal candidate would be. And like, yeah, let's vote for that because that person really represents my values in every serious way. But then you live in the real world and you imagine, well, how far away are these people from even like half decent? But then you think about like, okay, you could look at it from the perspective of who will do the least amount of damage, you know, and maybe sprinkle in a handful of good things. And then when you think of it like that, though, the other thing that kind of blocks that thought process is, but then you own whatever they do, I feel like, if you vote for them. So you voted for Joe Biden. Yeah, you voted for him to sign that executive order to raise the federal contractor and federal employee minimum wage to $15 an hour. But you also own the fucking drone strike that he did that killed seven babies in Afghanistan. And it's like, if you really think this stuff matters, then it's kind of hard to like digest all of this stuff and come out with a neat answer. Yeah, I envy anyone who has it. I envy anyone <laughs> for whom it's just like dogmatically yes, dogmatically no. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely, you know, like I, I have people around me that are on both sides of that. Same. You know, there's people Same. who are very like people who very passionately you have to vote. People who are very passionately do not vote. Right. And to me, I'm just like, look, it's not I don't know how it got so easy for you, but it ain't for me. I don't know (laughs) how I don't know what fucking like logic you're using that gives you this like, I must do this. You know, I'm glad it's I'm glad it exists within you, but it don't exist within me. I feel like it's very difficult every time. And it's like this, like, oh, I don't know. I mean, because I see it. I see both sides and they're both right is the problem. Yes, that's right. I mean, like they're both right. if it was like both were wrong, maybe you could come to some, I mean, it might be equally paralyzing, but if one was clearly wrong, wrong and one was clearly right, it, it'd be super easy, but it doesn't really seem that way to me. It seems like both make good points and I've kind of oscillated and I think I probably will always, uh, unless there's some Same. major paradigm shift where all of a sudden the Democrats are actually a party of do somethings instead of a party of do nothings. You're right. And the reason you struggle with it in the same way I do is because I think you're a really thoughtful dude. Um, TJ, tell everybody where they could find you. Let me just say, before you say anything, everybody check out the Deep Fat Fried podcast. I still listen to it to this day. It's phenomenal. Uh, So check that out and plug whatever else you want to, TJ. Yeah, uh, so we have our channel Deep Fat Fried, which Kyle just mentioned. Uh, We do shows publicly Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have shows all those days. Um, we have a live show on Wednesday. The others are pre-recorded. We also do a show every Friday. That's for patrons only. We do a sh- we do other stuff that's patrons only as well. Uh, the second half of our live Wednesday show is also patrons only. Um, I do a show called Abandon Hope behind our Patreon paywall. Only five dollars a month, less than fucking a cheeseburger nowadays. So consider joining that. Um, and, uh, we do, uh, I do the amazing atheist channel. I also do a lot of streaming the amazing atheist channel. Honestly, I haven't really done too much on because I've been doing so much stuff with deep fat fried. And I also do streams on the TJ does life channel. I've been way more active over there than I have on the amazing atheist, honestly. Uh, so that's where I live stream. I've talked recently to uh, demon mama. Who's a interesting streamer on the uh, Twitch and YouTube platforms. I talked recently to Vosh. I have conversations over there. A lot of times I just get on there and talk to the chat. 
uh, and just kind of see what on, what's on people's minds and answer questions and you know go off on tangents. Some of them very pointed and relevant, others of them completely meaningless. Uh, and uh, that's all the stuff I do. I'm pretty much always you can always find me somewhere doing something. Um, so those are the three main channels, I guess. Deep Fat Fried, TJ's Life, The Amazing Atheist. Check them out if you enjoyed what I had to say here or if you hated me and want to come let me know how angry you are. I'll be very upset, just like Kyle. It hurts my <laughs> breaks my heart every time, I swear. Uh, thanks so much, TJ. You're the man. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, my pleasure. All right, so there you have it. That is TJ Kirk, The Amazing Atheist. Everybody check out um, The Amazing Atheist channel, the TJ Does Life channel, the Deep Fat Fried podcast. Uh, that's really sort of like a hidden gem in a sense. I think it's a really good podcast and, uh, uh, I hope it, I hope it gets like super huge because it's, it's a fun time when you watch that podcast, um, or listen to it. So that was a great conversation. And I think my favorite part was discussing nihilism with him. That's a, a position that he holds very deeply. And he's made a lot of arguments for it over the years. And in some ways, I agree with him uh, about meaning, perhaps, that maybe meaning is more subjective than objective. But I definitely think we have disagreements on morality and ethics. I do think that there is a level of objectivity to what is morally correct and ethically correct. And um, so it's an interesting conversation because he's a smart person and it's nice to dive into those disagreements. You guys know, I have a thing for, I always like, watching, listening to uh, content that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think is really intelligent. And in many ways, he fits that role. I mean, him and I probably agree on 80% of things or 90% of things. Uh, generally speaking, politically, we're aligned. But it, it's in those disagreements that I find the most interest. And if I had more time with him, I could have gone into a thousand other areas where we disagree, where I think it would have been a very fruitful and interesting conversation. I think him and I have some disagreements on the issue of uh, borders. That was one of the things that I wrote down. Uh, I think I think on free speech now over time, over the years, I've become like more of a free speech absolutist in a way. And I think he's maybe uh, moderated his views a little bit more in the other direction on that issue. I don't want to misspeak and uh, give an inaccurate categorization of what he feels on that now. But uh it was a great conversation, and it's somebody I could talk to more for an extended period of time. And again, I hope everybody checks out his stuff because it's uh, it's at a point now where I think he's maybe putting out some of his best material yet, and um, his channel is sort of uh, stalled, like my own. So everybody give him a boost over there. Subscribe on TJ Does Life. Subscribe on The Amazing Atheist. Subscribe on Deep Fat Fried. And yeah, check his stuff out because... I think that conversation speaks for itself. It was absolutely fascinating. So anyway, I um, hope everybody enjoyed. Sorry, Crystal's not here right now, but uh, she will be with us soon, uh, hopefully for the next Crystal Kyle and Friends podcast, because it's not the same without her. She's one third of the title. So <laughs> uh, no, we miss her, and we hope everything's all right with the family. And... Yeah, so support the the podcast if you can on Substack. It's $5 a month, and that gets you the video of the podcast, and it gets it to you a day early. And um, if not, uh, listen, you could still sign up on Substack for free and get the audio version of the podcast the second it drops. So no matter what, you're not really missing any content. 
you just get the addition of the visuals and you get the content a day early if you're a subscriber. Uh, we did this because Crystal and I didn't want to take any corporate money, didn't want to read any ads, didn't want to deal with any bullshit. And so, I mean, if I'm being honest, we turned down a lot of money simply to do the subscriber model that we're doing. And we did it because we think it's a more pure model and we think it's the correct model and the right model. And it fits with who we are a lot more. I, you know, a lot of content out there nowadays is just packed full of ads and it just seems, something feels bad about it, you know? It's, it just feels shitty when it's like that. So, but we're doing the small dollar donor, donor model, the tip model, that you guys pay five bucks to get this little bit of extra stuff model. Um, it feels more pure and it feels right. So if you support us that way, really appreciate it and uh, really respect you for it. Thank you to everybody who already does it. And again, if not, you can listen for free, sign up on Substack uh, for free, and you can get the audio version the second it drops. So everybody have a good one and we'll talk to you soon.